the message that I want to share with you. Um, I'd like to like to just say that uh, I was very, very much impressed by this wedding the other day. It made me think a little bit of the... Um, my wife and I visited the Iwo Jima Marine uh, statue over there in Washington, D.C. One day when we were, were not vacationing, we was going from Sermon 1 to Sermon 2 between 200 miles, and we stopped in Washington a little bit. And it turned out that while we, when we, if you've been there, there's a great big marching field. And they had the entire Marine Corps first, uh, the first band, the, the, the number one group was there. And they were going to meet the president that night in some type of presidential something where we didn't, we didn't stay for that. We had something more important. <laughs> but uh, I was standing next to a major. He wasn't a general. He was either a major or a colonel, but he was big and a, he was a Marine of all, Semper Five from head to toe. And I said, boy, they're doing pretty good. I said, I just can't find anything wrong with what's going on. Why are they practicing? And he turned to me in a very serious way, and he snapped a salute, and he said, Sir, the Marine Corps doesn't meet minimum standards. We meet maximum standards. And he says, when the Marines do it, it's perfect. And boy, you can see, I'd hate to be one of his soldiers. <laughs> and he says, I'm here to make sure that it's perfect, not anything less than perfect. I couldn't help but think of that the other day here at the wedding. Adel didn't have anything to do with it, but I think Sylvia might have helped a minute or two. And uh, But just jokingly, I, I, we were very much impressed. And I think whoever put that all together, uh, they ought to go into the wedding uh, catering business and they could uh, support the church. Think about the millions of dollars they would receive. I don't think you could have had a better church uh, a wedding or a better reception. Congratulations. You have my respect and appreciation. Now, with that in mind, let's turn to John chapter 11 and verse 26. And while you're, while you're turning, keeping Romans 5 with the other finger, did you notice the other day when our brother Ackle was performing the wedding ceremony, there came a moment of time in which he seemed to have lost his voice? Anybody? When he was talking about the, about the exchange of the vows and he turned to Sylvia and he, he said, Did you wonder what he was saying? He was saying, Sylvia... You can't get married unless you, not Sylvia, uh, Natalie, you, you can't marry Randy unless Bob Bruton still gets his Rice Krispies. And she said, I do. So we will let them get by today because they're, not, they're on their honeymoon and they're, they already got their Rice Krispies. But, but uh, uh, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. John chapter 11 and verse 26, there's a verse there that, we read over awful fast sometimes. It has a tremendous impact if we think about it. It says, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, that's the Lord speaking. Suppose someone came up to you. If a person came up to you and, and read this verse and then said to you, Christians die just like everyone else, why should I believe the Bible? How would you answer that? I had a man come to me that had been, been saved for many, many years, a good godly Christian man. And his relative uh, was not saved. In fact, he's not only not a Christian, he takes every opportunity he has to shoot down Christianity. And he brought this verse to him. He said, Jim, why should I believe the Bible? The Bible says if you trust Christ to become a Christian, you'll never die. But Christians die like everyone else. He says, he says I, I know what I'm supposed to say, but he says, I can't say it, Bob. Tell me what to say. 
Well, I said to myself, your reply should have been that the, the word death in the Bible in relationship to physical and spiritual and mental and all of that has more than one, um, one aspect. He's right in one sense, but he's really wrong. And uh, each of these three aspects should be understood. Now, I don't know how many, maybe you have all the answers and what I'm going to say to you is old hat. But I'm amazed at the number of people I've talked to since I had that, in, that little visit with Jim uh, that uh, did not have the correct answer. So today, I would like, to, like us to take a look and, and be clear on the three different deaths that you and I are faced with. And uh, not only that, but if you're here and you're not saved, if, if you're here, you're here. But uh, if you're not saved, think seriously about these three deaths mentioned in the Word of God because where you're going to be a thousand years from now determines on your attitude uh, toward these deaths and how to, how to be saved and how to go to heaven. Now, with that in mind, let's think first of all about the first death. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 5 in a moment. Turn there, if you will, and be ready. I have my notes. I have to read larger notes because my eye is not entirely well, but it's getting better. I'm happy to say that I could read all the words in the song there, even though I can't read the newspaper. But uh, I've got 30-point notes here. This is why I have to use a binder instead of regular notes. Forgive me for that, but I'm, I'm hoping it will be over in the next six months. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. We'll read that in a moment. The first aspect about death that you and I should know, and this is what Woody, his relative, Jim's relative, said. He said, we all die. Christians die. Well, the first death mentioned for us, at least, is physical death. Now, in physical death, the body and soul are separated from the, um, and the soul and the spirit are separated from the body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is when the soul and the spirit are separated from God. And that's another death. And that's the death that you'll, you will never die once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then there's a third death, which is really called the second death because it's the second phase of the second death. And that is, it's called the second death in Revelation when you die and end up in the lake of fire. Three deaths. Let's think about that. The first death is the death of the body, physical death. And this aspect of death is described in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, which says, and if you have your Bible open, you can see it there. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Up until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not uh, imputed where there is no law. By the way, this is a, I hope I'm saying it slow and correct, even though Adel only gave me 15 minutes to do this sermon. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him which was to come, which, of course, is the Lord Jesus, the true head of the human race. In this passage, here's what we learn. Sin found entrance into the human race by Adam. Adam caused it all. I've often said here, I think I gave a little sermon one time on that. When I was in Sunday school, I wasn't saved until I was 20 years old, 19 and a half. And as a young kid in the teen years and the early teens, I had a lovely, a great Sunday school teacher. A great man of God was, was the man, that, my Sunday school teacher, Dick Andrews. He was on the board of a number of assembly projects at the national level. But Dick would tell us about Adam's sin. 
And we have inherited Adam's sin. And so we're guilty of our sin. And I used to sit there because non-Christian kids don't, you know, they don't reason like Christians. And I, I said to myself, I think I'm going to become a Christian. Not for myself, but I want to go to heaven and I'm going to look up Adam. And I'm going to take him out behind the barn. And I'm going to let him know how I feel about me being accused of what he did. And that's the way I understood it. I I couldn't pick it up. Why should I be a sinner? Why should I go to hell? Because of what Adam did. I'd like to try to explain that to you today. Um, Sin found entrance in the human race through Adam. And the way it happened was Adam and from him the descendants. By the way, have you ever looked up the meaning of the word descendant? It's a word that might embarrass some of us, but it means the the race in his loins. We all were in Adam, in the semen of Adam. And that's what a descendant is, comes from the semen of someone earlier. And so we all were in Adam. Uh, In the instance of physical death, every one of us sinned. Now, I'm not quite sure if I'm making this illustration correctly, but I'm told that people who have AIDS especially if the virus is alive or whatever, at a certain stage, they should never have children because the children will be born with that AIDS in them in one degree or another. And so that would propagate AIDS because every child they have would have the AIDS factor in them. When God made Adam, he was not what he was after he sinned. He was a higher level. But when Adam turned from God, and became a sinner, he became a man lower than what God intended. He became infected with sin. And in the Bible, and we're going to come back to this in a little bit, we're going to see that you and I inherited Adam's sin. And so we are a descendant of Adam, and we have that sin factor in us. A lot more I want to say as we go along. And so today, uh, and by the way, it should be said that Adam, uh, we do not inherit what Adam did. We inherit what we would have done had we been there in his place. And so in that, now I never knew that as a little boy. And I used to get so mad at Adam. Well, I've got to go to hell because of Adam. Well, Adam did, he being the federal head at that time of the human race, he did what we would have done had we been there. For instance, if our president stands up and says, We're going to declare war, not only on Iraq, but we're going to declare war on Iran. As of this moment, we are at Iran. uh, We are at war with Iran. Every citizen of the United States is at war with Iran. Did you know that? That's what the federal head says. And so every citizen follows that statement. Some people renege at that. But if they renege too much, they'll have the privilege of reneging in jail somewhere. We follow the federal head. Well, this is what happened to us. Adam was our federal head. And so when Adam sinned, we sinned. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's physical death, but it's also spiritual death. And so when Adam sinned, he began to die. And he did die years later physically. But the moment he sinned, he also died spiritually. And in that sense, this is why when we are born, we are born sinners. We already have the sin infection in us. We lowered, our lower nature is the nature of sin, and we need to be redeemed from that. Now, I've lost my place, but I don't need it anyhow. And so, you and I 
are in Adam and we die. Every human being, saved or lost, it doesn't matter. The body is going to die because we have inherited Adam's sinful nature at birth. And so let's go on to that. Now, I should go back and say that some of us would argue that breaking the law is sin. Well, breaking the law is sin. But breaking the law is not what caused you to die. You were dead already. You were born dead. Now, I'd like to just mention a little verse here. In God's divine reckoning, we're all dead. Why? Because we inherited Adam's sinful nature. Later, we broke the law, but it's not the broken law that sends us to hell. Because think of people that are, that are children, little babies that die. They didn't break the law willfully. Think of people that are unaccountable for their actions, people that have mind problems and mental problems and all these other things that they can't do anything about. Why do they die if the law is not accountable, if they're not accountable to the law? There was no law until Moses. They died not because of the law. They died not because they did something like Adam did, willful disobedience in the face of God. They had Adam's nature. And they die, and the body goes to the grave because of Adam's nature. We are a race in Adam. Now, let's go on. The Bible biblical principle is declared in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And I'd like you to turn to that. I'm going to speed up a little bit because I really do want to quit on time. Here, Levi, who lived by tithes and offerings, when you read Hebrews 7, verses 9 and 10, lived by tithes being paid to him. You know, the Levites were Levites. And so uh, the other Jews tithed their income and gave it to them. But notice what it says here, Levi, who lived by tithes being paid to him, and who was also the great-grandson of Abraham, paid tithes, although being only in the loins of the great, his great-grandfather. Through his great-grandfather, he paid tithes to who? Melchizedek, if you remember that. The passage reads, And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father, which could also be grandfather, but when Melchizedek met him. So, so far the scripture reveals that the only way that we can be accountable for our sins and die physically is not through the law, even though that's involved, not through our conduct, acting like Adam did, but because we inherited Adam's sinful nature. And so we all die. And it's perfectly correct to admit to anyone, Christians die like everyone else. But that verse in the beginning doesn't refer to physical death. We're going to die physically. But the good news is this. God is going to resurrect the body. And one of these days when the Lord raptures the church, all the Christians whose bodies are in the grave and whose souls and spirits are already in heaven, they're going to come back to the air and the body's going to be resurrected and it's going to be made over. I'm not so sure I'd want to come back with this old body, you know. But just think of it. Eyesight's going to be perfect. Hearing is going to be perfect. All of our pain will be gone. We'll have a spiritual body that's built for eternity, and we're going to enjoy that body. Well, uh, death will be gone. In fact, the last enemy is death, the Bible says. And that's a shovel on the grave of the devil. He tried to stop everything, but they're going to be resurrected. And so... But that has, that, that's the physical resurrection. But let's go on to the next point I want to emphasize. And I'm going to turn over about five pages here and skip it because it's just more illustration. Aspect number two is spiritual death. 
Now, how does that differ from physical death? Well, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 10. Spiritual death is the separation of soul and spirit, not from the body. That's already happened. Spiritual death is separation from God. By the way, the word death means separation. When a person dies, he's separated. There's no more communication with that person. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. Now, this aspect of death is, in the long run, more important than the physical aspect because it's responsible to God. Though spiritual death um, began with the same instant when, when Adam sinned, it has an entirely different uh, uh, results to us. Adam, when he sinned, he became a sinner and he lost fellowship with God. And not only that, but he began to die. And Adam did die later on. The first sin of Adam caused him to be transformed downward. Transformed downward, as we said earlier, into a different kind of being from which God had created. And we're going to find out later on when we become saved, we become better off than Adam was before he sinned. Did you know that? God has a reward for us that is not only better than Adam before he sinned, but it's the life of God in us in a very living way, in a real way. But let's go on. He, furthermore, did not propagate children when he was perfect. After he had sinned and was transformed to a different person, he began to have children. Why? Well, that's the reason that you and I are what we are today. I don't know about you and about sin in your life. I know about sin in my life. But I remember at the age of about 13 or 14 years, and I, I went to an assembly just like your group right here in North Carolina. And, uh, but that didn't have anything to do with it. I, I knew what sin was. Uh, Dick Andrews, our Sunday school teacher, he laid that out. And then the man that started our group was a man by the name of Luther, or Lester Wilson. We were talking about Luther earlier. Lester Wilson was the evangelist that started most of the assemblies in North Carolina. But I remember laying in bed one night, and I'd already gotten myself in a little bit of a trouble. Nobody knew it but me, but I knew it. And sitting, lying there in bed, looking out the window, a summer night, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not a Christian. And I didn't pretend to be a Christian. Didn't want to be a Christian. But I admitted to myself, there's something wrong with me. My wife would say amen to that. But I would say, I said to myself that night, I'm not normal. I like sin. So there. In fact, I don't want to quit sinning. The more I sinned, the more miserable I became. It didn't satisfy, but what else do you have, you know, uh, if you don't have the Lord? And I remember saying to myself, and this is why I remember the statement, I said to myself, I'm as crooked in my nature as a dog's hind leg. <laughs> I have a little dog at home, little buddy. He has a hind leg, and I think about that every time I'm fighting with him and playing with him. That's my nature, as crooked as can be. I knew that I was a sinner. In fact, the thing that began to point me toward God was my sins. And I'm not going to give you my history. The Bible says, speaking out of things done in darkness, and you don't hear any more. But I had an awful lot of people looking for me that I didn't want to find me, you know. I had this sinful nature. Well, let's go on. Through Adam, we became sinners. Furthermore, uh, we could, he could only propagate uh, sinners. There were no perfect children born. The Lord Jesus was born, but Adam was not his father. It was the Spirit of God that came upon Mary. So he did not have Adam's sinful nature. 
He furthermore could propagate only after his kind, and thus the race was born in spiritual death, received by heredity from Adam. I'm reading a notes here. I might jump a word. Each person of the human race is born spiritually dead. Now, if you have ever been associated with the Church of Christ, instrumental or non-instrumental, if you have been associated with the Salvation Army, if you have been associated with the Seventh-day Adventist, there's a lot of religious groups, Christian groups, some of them, who do not believe in an old nature being born in sin. They say, no, you're free until you actually commit a sin. No, you have a nature towards sin from the day that you're conceived because we have Adam's sin in us. Let's think about that. Sin is separation from God. We receive at conception that fallen nature directly from his parents. This spiritual nature goes all the way back to Adam. Bible school one time, one of the preachers, I think it was Harold Harper, made the statement that he walked up to a man one time and he says, I know your parents. They're sinners. And this person, person prepared to punch him in the nose, I think. He said, don't you talk about my parents like that. He said, well, are, are they human beings? Yes. Well, they came from their father and their father was sinners and grandfather and great-grandfather all the way back to Adam. He had never heard that. He was very much offended. But that's really what the Bible says. If you have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 10 if we can. Please, please, someone don't let me leave my watch here. I can't see the watch on the wall back there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's where life starts with us. We were not without a sinful nature when we were born. Oh, we had the sinful nature. We were born dead. Dead in communication with God. Hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation or manner of life. Now that describes me before I was saved. I worked that out one night lying in bed on a hot summer night. There's something wrong about me. I don't want to be right. My brother and I both would say, Mom, why do you go to that church down there? First of all, they didn't have ackle seats. They had old hard benches. And we didn't like to sit on those things. But my dad, even though he wasn't a Christian, we went to church, we had to sit on those hard benches. And we need more of this today, I think, in families. We couldn't move our head and look around. We couldn't play tic-tac-toe. We couldn't shoot rubber bands. We had to listen. My father is the only man I've ever known that had a two-foot ruler. Not one foot, not three feet, not a yard, a two-foot ruler. And it had a little metal little strip on that thing. And, if we, and they sat right behind us. Four kids on the front row. No second row. Front row. And if we just began to move, that, that little ruler would come down on his ear and start sawing. And that meant, buddy, you shape up or you, you may... You may wish you were not born when you got home, you know. I just, I get so offended in church. When I first came to California, I won't even tell you what church I was in. But the kids were like monkeys. And the parents would sit as far away from their kids as they could sit. Well, my kids do a little bit. I'm not bragging, but this is my principle. I had a little click that didn't sound like that, but it was almost like that. And my kids knew that click. First of all, they sat with us, but finally they got to sitting with the young people. And if there was any noise, 
And they, <laughs> boy, they would look over because they know that when dad got home, they would pay a price a lot bigger than the joy of, of their disobedience. And boy, everything would stop. They'd look and they'd get that look. And then I had a second. I'd snap the finger one time and they would look and I, my finger would go up like that and it would say, go out to the aisle, come down the aisle and sit here in front of me. And one night, our oldest son, Bob Jr., those, most of you know Bob, Bob was down there with Tim Rose. I don't know if you know Timmy Rose, but, uh, well, Mr. Rose now, but kids and grandkids, but they were down there making a noise. And I said, and he looked, oh boy, here it comes. And that's the most embarrassing thing in the middle of a meeting, to have to get up and go sit by your father. It was like bloodshed almost. <laughs> I think we need more of that today. Well, amen. Do I hear an amen there? All right, let's go on. Conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of God even as others. You don't have a prayer for salvation until you come to know Jesus Christ as your, as your Savior. But God, you ever looked up all the but gods? There's 40 times in the King James Bible you have the statement, but God. 20 of them have to do with salvation. The other 20 have to do with spiritual growth. Look it up sometime. You'll be blessed with that study. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, hath quickened us together in Christ. By grace you are saved. Isn't that a lovely statement? We didn't have anything to offer God. But God in His grace reached down and saved Bob Bruton. And He saved many of you, I hope all of you in this room today, by grace you are saved. And then he goes on to say, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And again it says, For by grace ye are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto God, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God's cure for spiritual death is what? Redemption. Regeneration. As His cure for physical death is resurrection and changing that body to a sinless body, God's cure for spiritual death is regeneration, replacing that inward spiritual death with something more than the life of Adam. We have the life of Christ in us. And so we rise higher than Adam was before he was saved. Replacing spiritual death with an inward spiritual life similar to and yet better than Adam's, it's the life of Christ. This happens when in this life, you must be in this life. We already read, in this life, over and over. Once you die, you're dead. It's gone. No more help for, no more salvation. There's an awful lot of people preaching today, and I don't want to get in. The Bible says don't take up other men's battles with other people, but... There's a, there's a false teaching going around that says if you miss being saved now, you can be saved in the tribulation. That's not true. The Bible says in Thessalonians, God will send them strong delusion. They'll believe a lie. And not a soul of these people are going to go to heaven if they heard the gospel and rejected it in this life. There will be people saved in the tribulation. There may be some people right in San Ramon and they'll be saved in the tribulation. But they didn't hear the gospel. They didn't have the opportunity to be saved earlier. 
but people who have come to San Ramon Valley Bible Chapel. Maybe there's someone sitting in this room today saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. And besides, I'll wait till things get tougher. Then I'll become a Christian. Well, you might not. You might be dead. But if you have heard the clear gospel message that God loves you, Christ died for your sins. He took his sins in his own body on the tree and died. Settled the difference between God and man. And all we need to do is repent of our sins, trust the Lord for salvation, and ask God to save us. If you die, or if you're alive, and the Lord would come this afternoon, if I understand anything about my Bible, your days of salvation possibility is over. You may live another 50 years on this earth, but you will never see the shores of heaven. You'll see the shores of the lake of fire. And so we're told to repent of our sin. By the way, let me make one more statement about repenting. I've got five minutes to go. Why is, over in Acts, Acts chapter 21 and 20 and verse 21, it says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. By the way, it's not just for the Jew, also to the Greeks, to us today. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why repentance is given first there? God makes no mistakes. There was a reason for that. When Adam sinned, he repented from God. He went the other way. And to be saved, Adam had to turn around and come back, and that's the repentance that saves us. Well, God in His grace brought Adam back. You and I today are in Adam, and in Adam we turn from God just as clear as when Adam partook of that forbidden fruit. And we're doing our own thing. We're away from God. Repentance means to do the reverse of what Adam did, to stop, make an about face, and face God and say, I'm sorry of what I did. I'm coming back to you, and I'm trusting what Jesus Christ did upon the cross to open that door for me. You see, it's all, it had to be settled with God first, and that's why Christ died. But God expects the heart to be changed. Now, probably in this chapel, there's probably not a person here that, that uh, doesn't live perfect if you're a Christian. I'm sure you don't have any problem with sins or anything like that. Well, I'm not of that group. Even after I'm saved, I have a terrible time with certain things. But I thank God there came a time, February the 14th, 1950, at about 2.30 in the morning, lying in my bed, sober as a judge. I turned back to God. And I said, God... You gave, and by the way, the word given, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. A good word is sacrifice. He sacrificed His Son. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Abraham was told to sacrifice, kill him. Put the knife in his chest and kill him and let the blood flow. I believe that God has that story in Genesis 22 to let us know that's how He felt when the Lord Jesus was on the cross separated, bearing our sins in His body on the tree. You ever notice the seven sayings of the suffering Savior on the cross? The first one is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The last one, just before He dismissed the Spirit, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me? During those three hours of darkness, I believe the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was in great grief. Now, Christ should always receive the priority. But I believe that chapter in Genesis 22 tells us the heart of God, what it took 
And God says, enough. Enough. Christ settled the situation. And you and I today are not required to do anything except repent in attitude. Come back to God. I want to go God's way. Now, we were never there to begin with, but we were in Adam. And secondly, look by faith to the cross and see Him dying for our sins. And then cry out to God, God save me. I'm trusting Christ for salvation. I'm repenting in my attitude. Now, for a Christian or one who says he's a Christian to do that, to say that, and still live willfully a sinful life, he hasn't repented. He may say, oh yeah, I believe Christ died for my sin. I'll I'll throw the dog a bone. Okay, God, you can save me if if you want to. It doesn't really matter to me. I've had people say that, heard people say that. If I were God the Father and someone knew what I knew before I was saved, and I said, no thank you, and I did that for 19 and a half years, I say, listen, there's only one place left for you, and that's the lake of fire forever. You caused my son to have to be crucified. You caused my son to absorb in his body my wrath against all the sins of the world. You don't have to do anything except accept it. If I were God, I would consign him to the lake of fire. And that's exactly what God does. If you have not trusted the Lord Jesus... If you have not repented from your sins, and if you do not have any nature whatsoever to be different, our brother this morning and the group in the earlier study, they were almost on my subject. I was just about to holler hallelujah back there. Because your life changes when you're really saved. It changes. And so, to be saved, we need to repent of our sins, trust the Lord Jesus for salvation, and ask God, God save me. Now, Bob, why do you quote Romans 10 for that? Why do you always put that third one, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Because it makes me different from the hyper-Calvinist. That's why. I'm not a Baptist, but I'm a Baptist. So there, on that truth. I believe in a good old-time conversion. I believe in a moment, the moment should come in every person's life in which, you know, you know when you got married. You know when you pay your income tax. You know when you've got to do things, and you don't forget it. How many of us remember, you've got to be pretty old to, to remember the story about the, uh, uh, on the radio one time in which the Martians came down over New Jersey. And, and they, how many remember that? Anybody remember that? How could you remember such an unimportant thing and forget when you were saved? If a person can't tell me when and where he was saved and a little bit about how and lives a sinful life, I wouldn't give him two cents for his conversion. We need to live the part. And we can always go back to a moment. I was saved in my bed, 2.30 in the morning on February the 14th, 1950. And if you can't say when you were saved, now God didn't say you had to be saved with a stopwatch in one hand and a calendar in the other, but you'll remember it. You'll remember it if you're really saved. Now, my time is up. Adel, I'm going to go one minute over. I'm I'm just turning pages after pages after pages here. But if you don't know these things, if you don't know that you're saved, if you know that you're a sinner, if you're honest with yourself, and you know that God loved you so much that He sacrificed His Son, even though Abraham's son was saved. In typology, we see the type of God sacrificing His Son for us. When you believe that, your life will change. Your attitude will change. Your mind will change. Your conduct will change. 
When I was saved, before I was saved, right up till the day that I was saved, the night that I was saved, I happened to be born with a sense of humor. I'm sorry. Preachers today are trying to be jokers. I don't want to be a joker. I want to leave all the jokes outside. I don't joke about heaven. I don't joke about hell. I don't joke about the way of salvation. And I don't joke about the Lord Jesus. And I don't think you should either. These are sacred subjects. But I'm still afflicted with it. And sometimes I'll laugh at a joke that's not the best joke in the world, morally, but it's a situation. I'll just laugh myself silly. Not long ago, I went to a certain place, and I was so tickled, and they were telling dirty stories. It was an insurance office, 25 or 30 men sitting around. And I said to myself, this, this is not right for you, Bob, but some of those jokes are so funny, I could So I said, excuse me, and I went to the men's room down at the end of the hall and laughed, laughed, laughed for about five minutes. And then I came back and sat down with a sober mind. Now, you may, you may laugh at that, but I don't think we ought to laugh at things like that. Well, let's just end up by saying, how does Jesus Christ fit into all of this? He came down. He went to the cross. He didn't have a sinful nature. He died, but not for his sins. He had nothing to do with Adam. And what killed him was he dismissed his own spirit, but before that time, he bore in himself God's wrath, whatever the standard is. By the way, we don't know everything we'd like to know about that. God doesn't give you all the details of what took place in those three hours of darkness. I like what one theologian in some book that I have at home, he says, if, if God hasn't spoken on the subject, then don't you add to it. Just take it as God and be content right there. Don't try to go off somewhere in a big cloud. You'll end up with the cults if you do, because that's what they do. Well, inasmuch as all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and inasmuch as we don't know when we're going to die, and inasmuch as there's no second chance, and inasmuch as the Lord could come at any moment to rapture the church, which would seal your doom forever, it seems to me, dear friend, whoever you are in this room today, I don't know the spiritual condition of a single person here. The only person that I know for sure is saved is me. And I hope you are. But if you are not yet saved, in the light of Revelation talks about the second death being the lake of fire, why on God's green earth... God being so good to you, you have good health, you have all these other things, you're here with us today. Why would you reject such a gift from God and consign yourself? Don't get mad at God if you end up in hell. Get mad at yourself. If you're not saved, let me urge you right now, right where you sit, repent to God, turn back, do that about face, and tell God, God, I've run from you all my life. But I want you to know that I'm, I want to come back. I left in Adam, but I'm coming back in my own will. And I'm trusting what Jesus Christ did upon the cross for me. And right this moment, look at your watch. Check the calendar. In this chapel, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I ask you to save me. And God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I told Adel the last half will come next Sunday. There's a lot more I'd like to share. I won't be here next Sunday, but you're only getting just the top of what I'd like to share with you. But enough to let you know that's where sin came from. And when we die physically, the spirit and soul are separated from the body. And God corrects that by resurrecting the body at the rapture. When we die spiritually, the spirit 
and soul of, an, of a Christian or of, of a sinner is separated from God if in this life he hasn't been born again. And at the end of this life on earth, the third death is the lake of fire. It's the final state of one being spiritually dead. Why would you do that? Why on God's green earth would you consign yourself to the lake of fire and miss all that God has for you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. And with our heads bowed, and uh, you don't have to close your eyes, but I'd like you to just close your eyes a moment. Don't look around. Don't look at anyone else. Think about yourself. Think about yourself. Are you absolutely sure on the authority of the Word of God and the witness of the Spirit of God, you know you are saved. You've trusted Christ for salvation. Will you just slip up your hand for a moment and hold it up? Just hold, hold your hand up. Let me. You know for sure you're going to have it. I couldn't talk you out of it. All right, thank you. Put your hand down. Now, for those of you that are not saved, I want you to be just as brave and honest as the others. I wonder if there's anyone here that has guts enough. That's not a good word to use. Intestinal fortitude. Is there anyone here that has to say, well, Bob, I, I, I didn't understand it all early. I've, I've missed a few beats. But I see now that I'm lost in Adam, for he did what I would have done had I been there in his stead. I also see that because I'm in Adam, I'm spiritually dead. I have no hope for heaven. The Bible says God heareth not sinners in prayer. You don't even need to pray because God doesn't hear it until it's the prayer of repentance. Bob, I'm not saved, and I want to be saved. Will you slip up your hand? I'm not going to make you come to the front or stand on your head or anything else. Is there anyone here that will be honest with themselves and say, I know I'm not saved. Thank you. I want to be honest with you. That's what I want you to be because God's going to be honest with you. Will you, right now, before we dismiss in prayer, will you just bow your head and say, God, I see it. I'm lost. I have no hope for heaven. I have no hope for your care. I have no hope for eternity. But right this moment, I'm doing an about face. I'm claiming Jesus Christ and His work upon the cross that's sufficient to save me. And I'm asking God to save me. Just say, God, please save me right now. I'm trusting. That's all you got to do. And I want to live for you from here on out. Anyone here would like to just let me know you're saying that in your heart? Raise your hand for a moment and then put it back down. Anyone here? All right. Anyone? Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you. We thank You from the depths of our hearts for Your love for us. Certainly, we would never do for another human being what Jesus Christ did for us. Certainly, we would never do as a, as a, as a Father what God the Father did for us. But Lord, we thank You for this wonderful truth that You loved us so much that You gave, You sacrificed Your only begotten Son, Your unique Son, on the cross, gave His life, shed His blood for us. And all we have to do is to change our minds and say thank you by faith. For anyone in this room today that's not saved, we pray for the mighty power of the Spirit of God 
to open their minds, to open their hearts, to open their thinking, and to see it, to see through it, understand it, and cry out to God, Save me, Lord, right now. Amen. Now, dear friends, if there's anyone here that's anywhere near that point, and you still have a question or two, I'm sure there's a Sunday school room or something we can go into if you'd like me to sit and talk with you for a little bit. See if we can't get you over the bump, if you have a bump. Don't leave this building lost. Don't leave lost. It's be all your fault. And if the Lord were to come before lunchtime today, and you haven't trusted the Lord, you may go through the tribulation. You may even go into the millennial reign of Christ eight or nine years from now. But you'll never see the shores of heaven. Think about that. Think about it seriously. It's your life we're talking about. It's your existence a thousand years from now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you much. We're dismissed, but if I can be of any personal help, I'd be happy to do so. Thank you.